Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to the SSC Weekly Podcast. Pastor Werner has some great encouragement for us today, so we're really glad that you're with us for that. You know, we believe that church is more than singing and learning together. It's community and connection, and we'd love to connect with you. So head on over to our website, ssc.church, click the I'm New button. We'd love to hear your story and see how we can inspire each other to follow Jesus. Let's listen in. Good morning. How many of you have ever heard the term NDE? NDEs. Anybody? You have? Anybody heard that term? Raise your hand, confess it. NDEs. All right. It's an acronym for near-death experiences. Now you've heard about it, right? These are... These are those accounts where people talk about leaving their body and especially during an accident or a sickness and experiencing something beyond the material physical world. Uh, The term NDEs was first introduced by Dr. Raymond Moody in 1976. How many of you were alive in 1976? (laughs) How many of you do not want to admit that you... <laughs> Well, his bestseller book actually sold 13 million copies called Life After Life. And um, there was a lot of research material written on the subject and movies, movies about uh, after-death experiences, documentaries, some of it questionable, some of it interesting and some of that well-documented. And another well-respected scientist, Dr. Bruce Grayson, uh, has researched NDEs for over 40 years. All over the world, um, collected and interviewed people in different cultures, uh, even historically accounts that he has found. And he co-founded the International Association for Near-Death Studies, and his latest book is the book called After. My own father had an NDE. My own father had one of these experiences. Um, and, and you can see that in his book. His book is called Bill Dross, The Pentecost. It is an amazing book, especially because the cover is a picture of me getting baptized. See that lovely boy at eight years old. So it's worth buying the book just for the cover. You know, but it is a really fascinating book. Some of you have read it. How many have ever read that book? Yeah, you would agree. It is quite fascinating. Just let me tell you a little bit what my dad related to me personally. You can read it in the book, but he, um, it was before I was born. My brothers, uh, Gerald Wayne and Wynn, were in the vehicle, dad and mom, and another lady was with them. And they were driving to a particular place in Colombia, South America. And um, he had a, a, an old, older version of a Ford. Uh, I say that because if you have a Ford, I don't want to offend you. But the steering, as they were going across a bridge, the steering column locked right, and he could not move it. And before he could stop the vehicle, they went over the bridge, down over the embankment. The vehicle flipped and landed in the water upside down, pinning them all underwater. My, my mom was able to escape 
and she pulled the kids out, but then they found that dad was pinned by the steering wheel under the water. They calculated roughly that he was there for 15 minutes underwater. Interesting thing my dad told me, and, and I remember him telling me himself, he, he found himself looking down onto himself. And he said, well, this is strange. He could see mom, he could see the kids, he could see men running to the accident. He could see the activity and he, he was confused at first. He said, I, I didn't understand why, what was going on. And then I, I clued in that I had left my body. My body was down there and he was pulled up into this tunnel, which is a very common experience with NDEs. And he said he felt this wonderful presence and this beautiful, amazing um, bright light and it was just gorgeous and beautiful. And then he heard a voice that said, your work on earth is not done. And immediately he felt again his, his body and um, he was so disappointed. He said, I was just so disappointed that I had to come back. And of course, God used them in many ways. And uh, I think they're the book and, and just quite an amazing story. In Dr. Bruce Greystone's book, uh, he talks... Uh, a lot about 16 different common features of NDEs. One of the most common experiences people have in NDEs is they describe encountering a very powerful being emanating this indescribable light and that seemed to shine right through them. And this is a very common thing that's heard. Often they identify this as God or Jesus, um, not always, but some of them don't know who that is. But very often they add that the being emanates this indescribable love. Here's one of the quotes from someone interviewed. I was engulfed by the purest, most unselfish, most beautiful love I have ever felt in my life. Now, these experiences are obviously fascinating I would say they're not necessarily the most reliable sources of truth. Uh, I'm not saying that they're not true. Obviously, I believe my father, and I, I, I actually believe that many are true experiences. But as Christians, we look to the Bible for our source, for our direction. It is there that, the, that we look at accounts of visions of heaven and God. And when we look at them, we look and say, what, what is there there? What, what is the Bible telling us? There's several descriptions of experiences people have when they had an encounter with, with uh, the spiritual realm, what the Bible would call the other reality. Ezekiel describes, in Ezekiel 1, if you want to read it when you go home, he describes this vision of God, and he describes seeing this as if it were. And this is the interesting thing. They are describing what they see in their terms. Sometimes they don't understand what to describe. But he says, what looked like a throne of sapphire. And on the throne, there was one that resembled the appearance of a human. From his waist up, I saw it, as it were, the color of amber with the appearance of fire all through it. And Ezekiel says, and I looked from the waist down, I saw as it were, it looked like fire with brightness all around. So Ezekiel describes this 
experience that he sees the supernatural realm of what some people would call heaven, the throne of God. Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, there's an account where Jesus takes three of his disciples up a mountain, and there he was transfigured into his spiritual reality. And here's what it says. Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Several other accounts through the Bible describe similar things. Now, these are not NDEs, but they're describing what people saw when they had this experience of being outside of what we would call the material physical world. The Apostle Paul had an encounter on the way to Damascus. And here's what it says. While Paul was journeying to Damascus, he saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun. And Paul in Acts talks about this story three times. And, and you would say, well, Paul, you're making this up. But the truth of the matter is this encounter completely transformed his life and turned him from being a passionate follower of Judaism to being a follower of Christ and losing everything, losing. He had no gain from this. In fact, he was highly persecuted. And he describes, he said this, this, Light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me. He said, I fell on the ground and I heard a voice that said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, this idea about the light, this powerful light, is very, very much described in Scripture. But then what about this this idea of this indescribable love that emanates from this being. 1 John 4, 8 tells us this. He who does not love. Can you read it with me out loud? He who does not love does not know God for God is love. So it's interesting. It doesn't say that one of the attributes of God is love. It says that love because love isn't just something God does. Love is his inner core. Love is everything he is. His justice, his mercy, his grace, his goodness, all of what he is, his forgiveness, his attributes, everything about him flows out of who he is, flows out of his love. He isn't just someone who loves. He is love impersonated. So that, that changes the game a lot as we understand that love is what he eternally is. He never is not love. He always is love. His judgments are through his love. His his uh, decisions are through his love. Love is the light that emanates from him. Love is what moves him to action. John 3.16, I quote this verse a lot because I think it brings the essence of who God is. It says, for God, what's the next word? So, so love the world. It's like, this is the extent of his love. And Jill alluded to this earlier in the service. This is the extent of his love that he gave his only begotten son. Those words are there intentional to show us this is a big deal. 
His only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So, so this idea of, of what motivates him, what motivates the gospel, what motivates Jesus to go to the cross, as, as, as we were singing before, what motivates Jesus to give his life for us, to give his life for our sins, what motivates Jesus to raise from the dead, to give us eternal life, is his love. That is the ultimate motivation. For God so loved the cosmos, the world. So the Bible starts with this... Um, Interesting passage in Genesis 1. It starts with the creation story. And a lot of times we get distracted with this and we try to, we, we try to debate the whole um, science stuff. And that's another subject and we can, we, we can, you can look at that. All, all that is, is fine. But what we miss is what's embedded in the story. The principles embedded in the story that are foundational, get this, foundational to all the Bible and foundational to the story of redemption. Now, Jill mentioned the word redemption. And, and the fact of the matter is, it's not a word that we normally commonly use a lot in our, in our language. Let, let, let me just illustrate it with this. Imagine that you have... Uh, a nana. God bless nanas. You are wonderful. My granddaughter thinks that her nana, Betty Ann, is there's God and then there's nana. And some days I wonder if there's confusion there between those two aspects. And then down the pecking order, somewhere along the way, there's Papa. But imagine you have a nana that that is really good at at making sweaters, knitting sweaters. How many have a Nana that knits sweaters? Anybody? And she knits a beautiful sweater for you, a, a sweater with beautiful colors. It, it, it is just, what a beautiful sweater. And she gives it to you, and you look at it, and you, you take that sweater, and you smell it. I don't know what it is about Nana sweaters, but they smell beautiful. And it's got these beautiful colors and this wonderful, amazing pattern embedded within the sweater. And you just love this sweater and you, you wear the sweater at special occasions. This is your Nana sweater. And everybody says, wow, where'd you get that? Oh, this is my, my, my Nana made this for me. And then one day, John, it's happened to you, it's happened to me. You get a snag in the sweater. How many have got a snag in a sweater? And you are in the, and, and it rips and there's a big opening in your sweater. And you go, oh my goodness. And you try to fix it as best you can. But it's, it's not, it, it pulls on the very fiber, very center of the sweater. And the more you move, the bigger the hole is. And it just, the whole sweater starts looking terrible. And you, you're ashamed. 
And so you don't want Nana to see the snag sweater, so you hide it, hide it. And finally, you, you say, I got to get rid of the sweater. So you go to a, a secondhand store and you say, can, can you buy this from me? Can you take Maybe somebody will use Maybe somebody doesn't care about the big snag. And can you take it? And so you sell it and they only give you a couple bucks for it. But Nana finds out. Have you ever noticed that Nanas find out? Where's the sweater? I haven't seen the sweater on you. Oh, no, no, it's just, it's so warm. But Nana finds out. And Nana finds the store. And Nana goes back to the store and says, I want to buy that sweater. And she buys it, and they charge her 10 bucks. And she takes it, unbeknownst to you, she takes the sweater, and she fixes it. She washes it. She makes it as good as new again. And then she boxes it in a box. She wraps it up, puts your name on it, and puts it under the tree, the Christmas tree for you. You know what that is? That's redemption. That's what the word redemption means. My life was broken, but Jesus came and bought it back. Fixed it. How many know that Jesus is fixing your life? And so the unraveling, the unraveling of the sweater. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It says, and the earth was without form and void. And that is an interesting word. It's the Hebrew is tohu vabohu. Say it with me, tohu vabohu. And not a lot of you are saying it. Try it. Tohu vabohu. Tohu vabohu. You say, I learned a little bit of Hebrew today. And it means, actually, it means distorted, lacking purpose, design. In other words, a bunch of yarn with no sweater. And so the story is, Genesis 1, is about God bringing, bringing the threads God bringing the pieces, God speaking life into the cosmos and bringing order, design to the cosmos. And he said, it's beautiful. It's like the sweater. It's gorgeous. It's awesome. But then sin enters in chapter 2, chapter 3 of Genesis. Sin enters the cosmos and the sweater starts to unravel. Say that with me. Unravel. Life around us, the world around us, the cosmos around us, they're unraveled, they're broken. The world around us and the world inside of us, in our bodies, in our minds, in our emotions, that's why I have doctors, that's why they're trying to refix you and me because we're unraveled. The world that we live in is not the original plan of God. It's not the original sweater. It got unraveled. And there is distortion. There, there is, there is a, a, a destruction of the plan of God for humanity. Our peace and harmony is unraveled. And instead we have war and conflict. You realize that in the last hundred years... There have been more war crimes 
And I know it's because of the population, but the more amount of wars around the world than in, than in the history of humanity. It's just World War I, II, the bomb, the Hiroshima bomb, the wars in Africa, the wars in South America, the war in Ukraine, the wars around the world. Our world is unraveled. Our physical mental health is unraveled. Most, and I hang around the police officers being a chaplain, but most of police deal mostly with mental illness, domestic fights. Drug addiction is rampant in our city. The world is unraveled. Lack of purpose, suicide. Just a few Days ago, a young 18-year-old girl in our city took her life. Why? She had no purpose to live. The purpose of God had, had missed her. But the good news is, there's good news. Do you know that? How many know that there's good news for our unraveled world? Have you ever noticed that our world is unraveled even politically? You say, yeah, but we have democracy. Have you ever watched Parliament? Don't they look like a bunch of kids that get, you know, like fight each other? And they argue back and forth and they... And then the, the chair has to say, order, 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 order. And I'm thinking, you are big people. It's unraveled disorderly. It's not the plan of God. But the good news is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He bought the sweater. He put it, he's putting it back together again. Paul tells the Ephesians, and I love this verse, and I want to land on this verse for a bit. Paul tells the Ephesians what he prays for them. What is the prayer he has for them? And it's Ephesians chapter 3, if you want to make note, you could read the whole chapter when you're home. It's well worth the read. He says down in, in, in verse uh, 11, 12, 13, 14, he says, I kneel before the Father. And he tells him, this is what I'm praying. I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives his name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith. So we receive what Christ gives us through faith. Through faith you are saved. It is faith that saves us. Trusting what he has done for us. And then he goes on, he says, and I pray. This is, this is kind of the, the focal part of his prayer as well. And it, he, he spends more time in this in his prayer. That you being rooted and established in love. Can you, can you read that with me? You being rooted and established in love. He says, our root structure, our foundation... You, mine. He says, our foundation needs to be love. Not only is love the core of who God is, 
what motivates him, what emanates from him, but it needs to be the core of our center, our root structure, what motivates everything we do. Out of that, everything needs to flow. How we treat others. Those that we like and dislike. Do you know anybody you dislike? How many know someone you dislike? I, I'm putting my hand up. You dislike them. Can you just close your eyes for a moment and think of their name? Just think of their name. And ask this question. I'm trying to think of one of the many that I dislike and grab one name. I'm going to call him Brent. I have a particular person in mind. And can I say this? Does God love Brent? So then the next question is, does Werner love Brent? See, I have a particular guy in mind that I, I that just last week, I was looking at him and saying, man, I don't like this guy. I really don't. And I felt, because I was preparing for this, I felt the Lord say, but do you love him? Because I do. I'm not saying that what they do is right. We're, we're, that's, there are abusive people out there. There are people that are evil. I, I get that. But do we love people? And do we see them differently through the eyes of God's love? That doesn't mean that we need to condone what they do. So there's a difference between like and love. And a lot of us mix that up. Because I might not like somebody or like what they do, but God loves them and he calls me to love them. I'm hearing, I'm feeling hesitation and I'm sensing brains arguing with me right now. That's okay. You think about that. Park your brain now for a minute and just let's move on. If love is at the core center, I will be greatly affected how I treat people, affected my motivations, what I do, why I do it, what is behind what I do, what interests do I have? When we, when we and I, I'm looking for my invitation here, when, when we look at the block party, why do we do this? That's the question. Is it proselytizing people and trying to get them to come to Smythe Street Church because we need more people in our church? We want a bigger church. We want more people. More people give more offering, more offering, more money. More money, we can do more things. Really? Or is the motivation for God so love the world? is the motivation that I can build a relationship with people and express to them the love of God and reach out to the unchurched or, or those who are, whose sweaters are, hmm? what was the word? 
unraveled emotionally or mentally or their marriages and extend to them the love of Jesus. So Paul says, may I pray that the core of your being, who you are, will be the love of God. And he goes on to say, I pray that you may have the power through his spirit, together with all of God's holy people, to grasp, read this part with me, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Wow. Paul wants us to comprehend, to grasp it. How deep his love is, how wide his love is, how long his love is, how high his love is. See, if we can get a clear understanding of God's amazing love, it will change everything we do. Everything we do. Right? A couple of weeks ago, Jeremy preached on Proverbs 19.23. And here's a verse. It's on your screen. Here's a verse that he used. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, Proverbs 1.7. And he used the illustration how electricity is so beneficial, but we need to treat it with respect. I was, I, later, I was talking with him a little bit, and we talked about the transformer that's at the back of the church. And I, I think we have a little video of the transformer. How many have seen the transformer? And if you notice, the transformer has a little sign that says what? Danger. And there are people that won't want to go near it because it's dangerous. And there's no question that we need to have reverence, awe, the highest respect, the highest honor towards the Almighty God. When Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 1, saw the majesty of God, it says that he fell to his face, he was afraid. When the disciples saw the transfiguration of Jesus, it says they were afraid. When Saul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, it said he was afraid. But the passage that we're reading is Paul praying. He is praying for us to have a deep revelation and to grasp something that he did not grasp before. But now he grasps by his encounter with Christ. He is telling us that what he prays for is that we will grasp onto the love of God. How wide, how long, how deep, how high is his love. You see, the verses that, that in Proverbs say that the, the fear of the Lord leads to life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. And if that's all you get to, You've missed what Paul wants you to get. And what Paul wants you to get is the love, this incredible, amazing, profound, mind-boggling love of God for you, for you, for me. In other words, Paul's saying, the transformer is big, it's dangerous, but the energy going through it is the love of God. 
That is the ultimate motivation. He says, I pray that you may have power through his spirit to grasp how wide, how long, and how high and deep is the love of Christ and to know love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. And then he says, now to him who is able. Did you find it there? Now to him. Read it with me out loud. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ Jesus. Sorry, my bad. Throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know, Craig Blair's an uh, industrial electrician, and I was chatting with him, and he told me, you know how many volts are in that transformer out there? I didn't know. 9,000 volts. You know that there is enough volts in that transformer to, uh, to, to feed electricity for two or three times Smyth Street Church. I offended her. I'm sorry. It's okay. You want to know I love the sound of babies in church. <laughs> uh, so those 9,000 bulls go to that transformer and it's transformed into 347 volts. Three-phase volts. They come into a panel at the back. And then that panel at the back transforms that into 110 volts. My phone only needs 12 volts. And there's this little wire here that you plug it in and it transformed the 110 into 12 volts this way. And what Paul is saying is this. Here's what he's saying. Get this. He is saying, you know the power that's running you? God has immeasurable more power than needed for you. You only need 12 volts, but he has 9,000 volts pouring into your life. And if you understand that, those 9,000 volts are filled with the love and passion of God. And he says, it's immeasurable. It is more than 9,000 volts. You can't measure it. The love of God for you in your life. And when you get that, when you understand that, the full extent of God's immeasurable love is what motivates everything he does. It needs to be what motivates everything we do. That comes by getting revelation of how wide and how long and how high and how deep is his love for me. When you get that, it transforms your life. Let me close by reading a very familiar passage read a lot in weddings. 1 Corinthians 13 starts with 1231. It says, let me show you the most excellent way. Let me show you what? The most excellent way. This is the most excellent way. Yeah, again, Paul. The Paul that fell and was afraid of the light is saying, I want to show you the most excellent way. 
If I speak in tongues of men and angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just noise. Guys, I'm not just preaching a sermon to you. I'm just telling you something that is the essence of Christianity. If we, 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 we can have, we can speak in tongues and prophesy, do all that stuff. It's wonderful. I, I do, and, and I believe in it. But if you don't have love, you're just noise. How many want to be just a bunch of noise? And sometimes when we have all those things without God's love, the world says, you, you're noise. And he says, um, he says if, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can boom mountains but do not have love, I am, which interpreted means I am zero. If I give all my I possess to the poor and give, give over my body to be burned, I sacrifice my body and do not have love, I gain nothing. And then he defines love. Just in case you want to know what love is, he says love is, love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. In my favorite three words of all my ministry. There it is. You see it? Love never fails. And then he goes on later in the chapter, and I, just for the time's sake, I'm, I'm going quick. He says, and now there are three, these three remain. Faith, that's wonderful. I believe in faith. Hope, hope is awesome. And love, he says, but the greatest of these is having the right doctrine. Being right. No. The word greatest is a really interesting Greek word. It's, he uses the word mega. It's what we have, you know, mega power. It's the greatest, the largest, the strongest, the widest, the highest, the deepest of all these. Is the mega power love of God. It's a force of the universe. Let's pray. Father, I pray the prayer of Paul that the Spirit would reveal to us the immeasurable profoundness of how wide and how high and how deep and how strong and how amazing is the love of Jesus for us. And that it would motivate us. It would be the root of what we are and who we are and how we, how we deal with people. I pray, God, when we get to the block party, it won't be about burgers and hot dogs and, and candy. What is it? Candy 
cotton candy and whatever. But it'll be about looking around the parking lot and seeing people that are unraveled and need to know that Jesus fixes sweaters and changes lives and redeems us and buys us by his blood and by his love. May our motivation, our attitude be to show the love of Jesus to others. Amen.